Now today is Communion Sunday, and uh, we're going to take communion at the end of the service. And within Christianity, there are two things you'll see in every, every Christian church. Now Christianity is a, is, is a funny thing. It has a lot of different groups, and I always say the word wrong, but it's S-E-C-T-S, sect. There's a lot of different sects. Of Christianity, a lot of different ones. Now, I, wow, the power came. I was, I was born, my dad's a Baptist preacher, and so uh, I was, my dad got ordained the October that I was born, and so my whole life has been spent in one flavor of Christianity, Baptist. Baptist born, Baptist dead, bread, and when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. <laughs> I've, I've only known one kind of Christianity. Now, if you grew up something other than Baptist, would you put up your hand? Okay, that, that's a lot. That's, that's a majority, I think. Okay, if you grew up Baptist, would you put your hand up, anybody? Okay, we're in the minority. We're in the minority. So, uh, so my, my experience with communion and baptism are only through the one lens of the Baptist church, right, of Baptist churches. Now, um, if you've come from a different tradition, a different Christian church, a different uh, kind of Christian church, a different communion, you probably have noticed that Baptists do things a little bit differently. Baptists are interesting people. They, there's, a, there's a kind of a high church kind of Baptist where things are very formal, very staid. Then there's all the way down to a kind of low church kind of Baptist churches. Maybe down in the south you'll find some uh, you know, uh, hillbilly kind of churches that are much different than up here. Hillbilly not being used as a pejorative. <laughs> so, um, lots of differences. Now, Baptists have been trying to do things according to what the Bible says uh, since they appeared on the earth. And of course, it's the, view, it's the view of people like Charles Spurgeon and many others that the Baptist church represents primitive Christianity in its pure, purest form. Is What Baptist churches are trying to do is to follow the New Testament as close as possible. Now, as a kid growing up, my dad would always say, if I find anything closer than Baptist, I'm going to join them. I'm going to join them. And uh, I think he was lying <laughs> because there might, there might have been a couple people a little closer than his particular group. Now, so today is Communion Sunday. And at the end of the service, we're going to have communion together. Now, um, but in March, on the first Sunday of the month, we're going to have a baptismal service. And so if everybody wants to look over their right shoulder to the back corner back there, you'll see this edifice. Thank you, Todd. <laughs> Thank you, Vanna. <laughs> you, how do you know what, what I meant when I said Vanna? Anybody? <laughs> so back, that's our baptistry. And you'll see that it's a, it's a horse trough on wheels. And we wheel it right... We, <laughs> <laughs> and we wheel it right up here in the middle, and we baptize people right here in the church, and we baptize by immersion. And so uh, no matter what kind of Christian church you go to, you're going to run into those two things, communion and baptism, wherever you go. Now, in March, we're going to have a baptismal service here. We have one person who's going to be baptized for sure, and after the service is over, maybe if, you haven't, if you've never been baptized or you've never been scripturally baptized, Maybe at the end of the service, you may want to start thinking about being baptized yourself on the first Sunday of March. And let's make a prayer together 
then I'll give you this sermon. Father, now Lord, you know you you already know what words are on these pages. And help me to say everything the right way. And I pray that you would give me the help of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a is a precious thing, and help me to make that plain. I pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. Baptism is a common part of Christianity. Every Christian group, both Protestant and Catholic, fundamental and liberal, all practice baptism as preparatory to church membership. Now, because there is uniformity amongst amongst Christianity of the practice of baptism, that tells us that baptism is an important rite of Christianity. Not all churches have instruments with their music because instruments are not really that important to the overall worship of the church. Not all churches sing as much as we sing, and there are other churches who sing much more than we sing. The church my wife grew up in in Arkansas, they would sing eight songs every Sunday with two specials. I mean, just, it's just an incredible amount of singing. We sing four because uh, we're only half as good as they are. <laughs> so, the word baptism in our Bibles, if you encounter it, we read it this morning there in Acts chapter 2. The word baptism in our Bible is an untranslated word. It's a transliterated word. The word baptism has a definite meaning, but it's untranslated. Now, uh, the Greek word for baptize is baptizo or baptismos. Baptizo or baptismos. And that word means to dip, to plunge, to submerge. Dip, plunge, or submerge. There's a famous book from the uh, 17th century. It's called, Were They Dippers? Now, it's not talking about dipping snuff. <laughs> it's talking about, did they dip people in, in water? So, basically, the Greek word for baptize means to immerse, to place under. And so when we baptize here, we baptize by immersion. We put people into the water, we bury them in the water, and then we resurrect them in a figure or in a type uh, from the water. Now within Christianity, there are different views about, about baptism, and there are three, three questions that come up. Three questions, and here's number one. Who should be baptized How should they be baptized? And what does baptism procure for you, if anything? You may say, well, why should we take the time to talk about baptism? We all know something about it. We all know how it works. Well, the reason we should take time to talk about it is there are a majority of people in our area who are Christians who probably do not believe the same thing that we do about baptism. So when they come into our church where we talk to them about why our church is the way it is, they have to be informed that we practice baptism in a special kind of way, in a biblical fashion. And people are not, we can't assume that everybody knows the why of everything, right? We can't assume that. So you have to think about these things. Now, uh, a second reason is there are always new people coming into the church, and that's a blessing, isn't it? Always new people coming to the fellowship. We have people who've just been saved here in, in this room today. And so they always so new Christians need instruction about baptism. Now the debate about baptism has been very heated through the centuries. There have been times 
in the history of the world where the debate over baptism has cost people their very lives. And that period really runs from 1000 A.D. to 1700 A.D. where people who believed in believers' baptism only were persecuted all the way up to death because they believed in only believers' baptism. I'll get to that in a little while. It even happened here in the good old United States of America. In this country, persecution over baptism. Now, in, the European, in Europe and on the American continent, up until 1789, in almost every place, it was illegal to practice believer's baptism. It was punishable up to death. Up to death. And it was illegal because every nation in Europe and every colony in the New World all recognized an official state religion, an established state religion. And in America, up until the 19th century, many of our New England colonies still had official state religions. So like Massachusetts. The official religion of Massachusetts for almost 200 years was congregationalism, recognized by the state legislature as the Church of Massachusetts. Texas, before Texas was a state, Texas was a Catholic state. And nobody could settle in Texas or become a citizen of Texas up until Texas independence unless they were Roman Catholic. And no new church could be formed there either. In fact, the first non-Catholic church to go to Texas was a church from Illinois called Pilgrim's Rest Baptist Church. Because Baptists are always thinking about these things. And there was no law in Texas that said an established church couldn't relocate to Texas. Just no new church could be formed in Texas. And so a guy named Daniel Parker took his congregation in mass, moved the whole congregation. They all said, let's go to Texas because they got tired of Illinois winters. And they all went down across the Red River into Texas and established the Pilgrim's Rest Memorial Church just northeast of Northwest of Austin, Texas, a little ways. So, there have been times in history when the practice of believers' baptism has been illegal, even here in the, in the United States. Now, there were two exceptions to that. There were two colonies that are now two states who allowed people to have religious freedom and practice baptism however they wished. And those two are Pennsylvania in 1681 and Rhode Island founded in 1636. Now, baptism is an important part of Christianity. I've tried to establish that already. No matter what kind of church you go to, if it's a Christian church, you're going to run into baptism of some kind in some way. You're going to see it happen. Now, baptism leaps into view for the first time in the early chapters of the New Testament with John the Baptist, who, 30 years after his birth and the birth of Christ, John comes out from the wilderness preaching the gospel of repentance and baptizing people who believe that message. You see that very early. Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 3, you see it leaps into the forefront. Now, when Jewish leaders saw John the Baptist performing baptisms, they said, what are you doing? You are baptizing people who are, who are Jews already. And the reason the Jewish leaders said, why are you baptizing Jews, is because... In order to become a Jew, 
In that era, if you were a Gentile, you wanted to become a Jew, you had to go through some ceremonial purifications. One of those, if you were a man, was you had to be circumcised the eighth day after your decision to become a Jew. Then you had to have a baptism, a ceremonial washing to wash away all your Gentileness, and then you'd become a Jew because their view was that you were being born again from the water, no longer as a Gentile, but now as a Jew. So when John comes baptizing Jewish people, they say, why are you doing this? And they ask John, in John chapter 1, verse 25, they ask John if he was the Messiah. Because they expected the Messiah, that when he appeared, that he would be baptizing people. But John says, I am not the Messiah. I indeed baptize with water, but one who comes after me, whose shoes I am not worthy to unlatch, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that's what Christ comes and does on the day of Pentecost. Now, after Jesus is baptized by John, if you read the New Testament especially the Gospels particularly, you will see in the Gospels that there are two groups of people baptizing in the Gospels. One is the disciples of Jesus, and one are the disciples of John. So in the Gospels, you see Christians baptizing, and then you see Baptists baptizing, okay? Because John was John the Baptist. This is, this is, this, this is a fun thing to say. I always like to say this. If Jesus was baptized by a Baptist, then what was Jesus? <laughs> That's a thing for you to just think about later on. <laughs> Ruminate over that in your leisure. But there are these two baptizing groups. There's Christians who are baptizing believers, the followers of Christ, and then there are followers of John the Baptist who are also baptizing people. And they, and they, they, never, they never merge, they never become one, but they coexist throughout the Gospels. Now, by the time you get to Acts chapter 19, the followers of John the Baptist have apostatized and have become something different. And when the Apostle Paul encounters them in Acts chapter 19, the Apostle rebaptizes them because they did not have the gospel, nor did they have the right view of the Holy Spirit. If you want to read about that in Acts 19, you can. What we see from the outset of the New Testament is the practice of baptism. And it's established in the Gospels well before Pentecost. But after Pentecost, baptism remains a rite of the Christian church, a rite that has been practiced without cessation for 2,000 years. Now, there are many things that are debated in Christianity. and We call those in-house debates. But there is no debate within Christianity over whether or not Christians should be baptized. Baptism is an important mark of discipleship. It's an important day in the life of every Christian person. The initial mark of baptism for a Christian, the initial mark of discipleship for a Christian is baptism. Now, let's go back to these three questions, all right? I'll, I'll give them to you again. The question number one who should be baptized? When should they be baptized? And what does baptism do for? You. Not long ago, a young person asked me if, a, if you had to be baptized to go to heaven. To which I said, no, you do not have to be baptized to go to heaven. But I'm going to give you towards the end a couple reasons why you should be baptized if you have not been baptized. Number one, 
who should be baptized. If you have the authorized version, also known as the King James, you can look at Acts chapter 8, verses 35 through 38, and at Mark 16, 15, which are two passages that don't always make it into new translations because scholars say that these are second century additions to the Greek text. However, if they are second century additions to the Greek text, it still tells us that there is an ancient tradition of believers being baptized in the New Testament. And you can read throughout the New Testament and see lots of passages that point to people being a Christian, then becoming baptized. Not becoming baptized, then becoming a Christian, but believing and then becoming baptized. We call that believer's baptism. And this pattern for baptism is easy to spot. A person believes the gospel and then is baptized. You see that pattern throughout the New Testament. Here are some additional scriptures that teach us that. And I'm not going to take the time to read them, but I'm going to read them out to you in your hearing, and you can write them down and look them up later if you like. One is the passage we read this morning, Acts 2.38 through 41. Acts 2.38 through, 30, through, 30, through 41. And then Acts chapter 8, verse number 12. Acts 8.12. Acts chapter 9, verse 18. Acts chapter 10, verse 47, Acts 16, 33, and 18, 8. I'll read them all again. Acts 2, 38 through 41, Acts 8, 12, Acts 9, 18, Acts 10, 47, Acts 16, 33, and Acts 18, 8. Now, when you look at all those passages, the pattern is always the same. People hear the gospel, they believe the gospel, and then... They are baptized. There is no other order in Scripture. There's no other order. It's hear, believe, and be baptized over and over again. So it is my conviction that the New Testament teaches us that only a believer should ever be baptized. In order to be a believer requires cognitive decisions to be made. You have to understand the gospel You have to believe the gospel, and then you have to indicate that you want to be baptized. Any other form of baptism violates all those things and violates the pattern of the Scriptures. Now, there are attempts by persons to say that infants should be baptized, that the children, that the infants, the babies of Christian parents should be baptized. Now, that's pretty standard. How many of you have have heard of infant baptism before? Anybody? Anybody? Have you ever seen it done? And I know that in this, in this room this morning, there are people who were baptized as babies and baptized later as believers, and probably some who are still, as yet, just have infant baptism. Now, the, the arguments for infant baptism hang on two things. Number one, are you guys still with me? All right. Number one is that baptism is a form of circumcision that was performed on Jewish boys to bring them into the covenant. In the Old Testament, Jewish boys, when they were born, had to be circumcised to be brought into the covenant of Abraham. It's called the covenant of Abraham. But those persons who say that infants should be baptized today, they are saying that in the new covenant, that spiritual circumcision is infant baptism. So just like the Jews of old circumcised their boys on the eighth day and brought them into the covenant, so Christian parents should spiritually circumcise their children, both boys and girls, as soon as possible through 
baptism. If you, if you want to know the text of Scripture they use for that, it's Colossians chapter 2, verse number 11, where it talks about a circumcision without hands. Without hands. Now, my, my counter-argument to that is that is baptism done with hands or not? Nobody gets baptized without the use of somebody's hands. If you're sprinkling water, you're pouring water, or laying them back in the water. It all requires hands. So that circumcision of heart that's mentioned there is a spiritual circumcision. If you, want to, you can read the Old Testament and see all these times about there being, there, people were cut in their heart. Acts chapter 2 says they were pricked in their heart. Something happened to their heart to make them change their view. So that's, that's one argument. Is that baptism, the baptism of infants is justified because it is the new covenant circumcision. That's argument number one. Argument number two is that in the book of Acts, there are texts that say that they baptize the entire household. So Acts 16, the Philippian jailer hears the gospel, believes the gospel, then he's baptized, and it says, and his household. So the assumption there is that if there's a household baptism, it should be taken to mean that every single person, even babies, were baptized. But that is not what any text says. It just says household baptism. Now, I take it to indicate that most of the people there were baptized. I, I take, actually, I take it to mean that only the believers within that household were baptized, none of the babies. There, if, if infant baptism were an important matter, you would think you would find one verse of Scripture somewhere, just one verse of Scripture somewhere that said they baptized the baby. There's not even a verse of Scripture that says they baptized the kid or the teenager or the young man or young woman. Young woman. Not one. If I could find one text of Scripture that said they baptized the baby, you'd be sitting inside of First Presbyterian Church of Sheboygan, Michigan right now. I'd be a Presbyterian that quick. That's that quick. Quicker than that. Quicker than a blink of an eye. Faster than the shake of a lamb's tail. <laughs> Faster than my, than my mom at a Kmart blue light special. <laughs> you guys, how many of you guys remember the blue light specials? Remember those back in the day? Attention shoppers, blue light special. <laughs> now, there's not a single text that says a baby or child should be baptized. There's not a single text of scripture that indicates that any unbeliever should ever be baptized. Because if an infant is baptized, that's the baptism of an unbeliever. Because you have no idea if that child, we don't know if they have cognitive powers to understand. There's no evidence at all that they are a believer of any kind. What we see in the scriptures presented to us over and over again is believer's baptism only. So I think it would be ridiculous for a person to say, oh, well, let's baptize a baby. When every pattern of scripture says... They only baptize believers. So there you go. That's my, my take on these things. Now, other Christians disagree, and other Christians baptize babies. I have friends who are Presbyterian ministers, and they baptize babies as often as they can. I have a friend in Oklahoma. He's now a Baptist pastor, but he used to be a minister in the Church of England. And I asked him one time, because he became a Baptist, and I said, how many babies do you think you baptized? He said, thousands. <laughs> thousands. But if you baptize babies who are not believers, I think that's wrong. 
It's wrong to carry out baptism the wrong way. Number two, how should a person be baptized? How should a person be baptized? Now remember, back there in the back, we have this horse trough thing back there, and it's deep. My dad, one of his buddies, one time started talking about, I only believe in deep water baptism. So my dad will say, I'm a deep water Baptist. I always thought that was funny. Deep. How deep is deep? Because I don't know any Baptist who baptizes anybody in deep water. It's always waist deep. (laughs) I wouldn't call that deep. Anyway, number two, how should we be baptized? In Christianity, there are three forms or three modes of baptism that are usually acceptable. And these three forms, which you've probably seen all three, are immersion, pouring, or sprinkling. Immersion, pouring, or sprinkling. Now, the Greek word for baptism I already shared with you is the word baptizo or baptismus. Right? That's that's the Greek word for baptism. That word means to dip, to plunge, to submerge, to immerse. All right? That's what baptism means, baptizo. The Greek word for pouring is epikeo. Epikeo. That's pouring. Epikeo. The Greek word for sprinkling is rantidzo. So there's these three forms, immersion, pouring, and sprinkling. There are three words for each one of those things. These are three words all in the New Testament. Baptizo, epikeo, and rantidzo. That's your three words for for immersing, sprinkling, or pouring, right? Now, In every place in the New Testament where you see the word baptize in any form, every single time the underlying Greek word is, guess what? It's always baptizo. There is not one place in your English Bible where it says baptism and the underlying Greek word is epikeo. There's not one place in your your English New Testament where you see the word baptize and the underlying word is rantizo. But in every single instance that you see the word baptize in your English Bible, in the New Testament, the underlying word is baptizo or baptismos. The only thing that's different is the tense. Every single place. Every single place. Now within Christianity, there are these three forms or three modes that are acceptable. People say immerse, pour, or sprinkle. But there's no baptismal passage where the words for sprinkling or pouring or appear, appear. And I think that's significant and should inform the way that we baptize. Plus, within church history, for the first 200 years of the Christian church's existence, all forms of Christianity, no matter what sect or variety it was, all forms of Christianity practiced baptism by immersion. Even if they baptized babies, they immersed them. Even today, the Greek and Eastern Orthodox Church has now for over 1,000 years been immersing infants because to them, the Greek text is clear, baptism is only to be done by immersion. Immersion under the waters. Now, in church history, when people began carrying the Bible for themselves, people, over time, you'll see these, these vestiges of the Reformation period where believers' baptism is accepted by by many people as being a believer's baptism that can be done by pouring, sprinkling, or immersion. And that, anyway, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary 
in uh, Texas, they say that's three, three acceptable forms, usually based upon circumstances. So if we were over in the desert, let's say we're in Saudi Arabia, and you're an army chaplain, and you're a Baptist army chaplain, and you, and you lead some guys to the Lord, and they say, hey, we want to be baptized, because of the scarcity of agua, they would pour, the, pour on them or sprinkle them because of the circumstances. You may encounter a situation where a person is infirmed or who is an invalid, and they have come to faith in Christ, and they say, before I go to the glory land, I want to be baptized. It's not uncommon to see Christian ministers baptize them in a hospital bed by either pouring or by sprinkling. You'll see these three, these three forms in Christianity. These are all adaptations to circumstances, and every church has to decide what their opinion is going to be on those matters. Now, the reason why you see sprinkling and pouring coming out of the, the Reformation period for believers is because for the... Well, I'm just going to skip that part. Number three. What does baptism procure for us? What does baptism do for us? Now, I already said, can you go to heaven without being baptized? What's the answer? Yes, because faith saves. Faith in Christ saves. So what does baptism do for us as believers? Now, there are some people who teach that baptism is required for you to get to heaven. And every group who teaches that baptism is required for you to get to heaven also teach, this is without exception, they also teach that if you want to get to heaven, you got to believe, be baptized, and be on your best behavior till the day you die if you hope to make it to heaven. They put salvation on your back and say you must keep up your end of the bargain. you got to live good, live clean, live pure, or you're not going to make it to the glory, the glory world. My friends, that's false. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves, is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are His workmanship in Christ Jesus. We're not saved by our own efforts. We're saved by Christ, by faith in Christ. Right? Now, faith alone saves. Good old John 3.16. You guys know it? Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I mean, that's, that, that's as plain Jane as it gets. You want to have everlasting life? Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you don't want to have everlasting life, put your faith anywhere else. You put your faith anywhere but in Christ, you're not going to make it into heaven. But if you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will walk through the pearly gates. You will enter the heavenly realm. You will spend eternity in heaven with Christ. And if you put your faith in Christ right now and you die on the way home today, you'll be in heaven. You don't have to be saved for 10 years to qualify for heaven. Amen? Remember the thief on the cross? He's about to die. He looks across at Jesus and he says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, Buddy, today you're going to be with me. Because that was enough faith. He didn't even make a sinner's prayer properly. He just demonstrated that his faith was in Christ. And because his faith was in Christ, Jesus said, you get to go up and not down. Now, we don't need baptism to get to heaven, but does baptism do anything for me as a Christian individually? Well, the answer to that is yes. And here they are. Number one, 
Baptism benefits the believer, number one. It identifies you with Christ and provides you with a definite moment in your life that commemorates your decision to be a disciple of Christ. A place and time where you said, I'm a Christian. That's what baptism does for you as a believer. I was baptized when I was 16 years old, just just before I turned 16, in November in a borrowed baptistry in a borrowed church. My dad's church did not have a baptistry. We had a horse trough. A little funny story about the horse trough is uh, we, my dad, we, we bought this property to build a church building on, and we built a church building. And uh, then the, the lady who sold us the property, her house was next door to us, and she died. And we bought her house from her estate. And so my dad said, let's just make the living room in that old house our baptizing area. Isn't that a great idea? And so we had a big old horse trough in there. And uh, this, is, this was before I got baptized. This is why I had to go to the other church. Was My dad was baptizing in there one day. We had so many people crammed into that living room that the floor gave way and separated it from the outside walls. And we heard, oh, it was a really old house. And that was the end of our baptizing in there. The only people who ever got to go in there were visiting missionaries. <laughs> I guess we thought their lives were not that important. <laughs> so I remember going. I remember going before the church and tell, telling the church, telling my dad, I need to be baptized. I've trusted Christ as my Savior. We went down to the General Baptist Church out on the highway, on Highway 52, and uh, I got baptized. They didn't turn the water on, the heater for the baptistry, so the water was very cold. And I remember that I got in the water with my dad. I got baptized with another guy whose name was Steve Riston. And me and Steve, we both got in the water with my dad. And my dad baptized Steve. And Steve, he must have been the most buoyant person who's ever lived. Because when he laid back, he just floated. And my dad put both hands on him and whoosh. (laughs) Just pushed him down. Because Steve was just totally at ease in Zion. I mean, he's like, I got no fears at all. And so, and then, then I got baptized. And I can remember my dad lifting his hand to heaven and saying, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with him in the likeness of death. Goosh. When he raised me up, he said, raised to walk in the newness of life. Almost set it into my ear. I can remember it. I've gone back to that baptismal moment. Many, many times in my life that that was the day where I was saying, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I can hearken back to it. If that had happened to me as a baby, I could never revisit it because I would have no memory of it whatsoever. Believer's baptism provides for you a definite place in your life where you said, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, there's all kinds of different circumstances when people get baptized. Sometimes people get baptized in lakes. Anybody here been lake, baptized in a lake? Anybody here? Anybody here been baptized in a river? Anybody here been baptized in a creek? That's creek for you all. Anybody been baptized in a swimming pool? Nobody? Oh, did you, did you raise your hand, Jim? Jim's been baptized in a pool. Jan has. I mean, there's all kinds of different circumstances of where you're baptized. But every, in every single circumstance, it goes back to you in water with a person who lifted their hand to heaven. And said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they buried you and raised you 
in picture of the resurrection of Christ. So baptism provides for you a definite place to go back to. I consecrated myself to Christ there in those baptismal waters. Number two, baptism, according to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6, he uses believers' baptism and he references people. He says, remember your baptism. Remember what you said back then. He points back to it. You can point back to it for yourself, and others can point back to it and say, remember when you were baptized? Remember when you signed up? Remember when you got serious and you buried yourself? And Paul says, now walk in the newness of life of baptism. The third thing a baptism does for you is it makes you, to be, makes you eligible to be a member of a local fellowship. Now, that's not a Baptist thing. Every Christian church in the world requires baptism to be a member. Every single one. Roman Catholic, Lutheran, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Methodist, they all require baptism to be a member. Being baptized makes you eligible to be a member of a local church. You say, eligible? Yes. Because the door to membership in a local church like ours is a thing called mutual consent. Mutual consent. If you want to be a part of this church, you ask and say, can I be a part of the church? And then we consent. You say yes and we say yes, right? Mutual consent. That's the door to the church. That's the door of the church. But you have to be baptized to be a member of a local church. Number four. When you're baptized, you're identifying with Christ. Because before Jesus began his earthly ministry on the earth, guess what he did? He went down to see John on the banks of the Jordan River. And John saw him coming, and Jesus said, I need you to baptize me, John. And what did John say? I need you to baptize me. But Jesus said, suffer it to be so, to fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus walked down into the water, the sinless Son of God, walked down to the water, and John put his hands on him and buried him in the water, and raised him in the water. And in that moment, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove upon Christ. He said, this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. My friends, when you follow the Lord in believer's baptism, you are doing the very thing that Jesus did. Jesus did not become a son of God in his baptism. He was a son of God when he got baptized. And just like John did, John baptized the child of God. And here at this church, when we baptize people, we baptize the children of God. There's a famous debate amongst the Church of Christ in Texas where a Baptist pastor asked a Campbellite preacher, he said, do you baptize children of God or do you baptize children of the devil? And he said, they go in the baptistry, children of the devil, and they come out children of God. What an error. What an error. We, when, you follow, when you follow the Lord in believer's baptism, you are following in the footprints of Christ your Lord, who himself was baptized. Now let's pray together. Now while your head is bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to talk to you for a second about baptism. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I, I wish you'd do it. I mean, I want you to do it. Everybody in this room who's a Christian wants you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Everybody here who's a Christian, 
If I asked him to say, if I said, let's pray right now that everybody here will receive Christ who's not a Christian, every Christian here would start praying immediately. Because everybody here wants to see everybody they know come to faith in Jesus Christ. And you can, you can become a Christian today by calling upon Christ and asking him to save you. And if you from a sincere heart will call upon him, he will save you. He will save you. And if you're here this morning and you have been saved, you know that you've been born again. Follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Go ahead. Do it. Come and tell us after the service that you want to be baptized on the first Sunday of March, and we'll baptize you. We'll baptize you. We want to help you have that defining moment in your life. If your baptism is so far in the rearview mirror that you can't remember anything about it, I would say probably come and talk to us. We'll baptize you too. Baptism is such a great thing in your Christian life. Follow the Lord in that sacred act. Now let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the time to talk with my friends and loved ones here about this. And I pray, Lord, that you would open the hearts of the unbeliever and they would see themselves as sinners who desperately need a Savior. And, oh, Lord, how I pray that every Christian who's here will walk into the waters of baptism and say, I want to identify with the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen.